0: Today's guest, Tom Corbett, served as the 46th governor of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Earlier in his career, he was the state's attorney general. Currently, the governor chairs Keep Our Republic's Pennsylvania efforts and is a professor at the Thomas R. Klein School of Law at Duquesne University in Pittsburgh. So I'm really looking forward to getting his unique perspective. When Ben Franklin was leaving the Constitution Hall, he was asked if the founders had decided to have a republic are an autocracy
1: and he said we have a republic if we can keep it
0: governor tom corbett thanks so much for joining us and our listeners well Ari, uh thank you for having me and i look forward to our conversation well thank you so much for the conversation you've been having somewhat under the radar but over the better part of the last year primarily with the legal community in pennsylvania talking about the fragility of our democracy and particularly uh, in the post-election period some of the threats. Uh, maybe you can share a little with listeners about the continuing legal education seminars you've been engaged with.
1: Well, all right. I would tell you, I think there is a, a general concern out there among the legal community because they understand it uh, probably a little bit more than the average uh, citizen does. Um, the fragility that we're experiencing right now, and we've done a couple of sessions with the legal community Many members of our board here in Pennsylvania are former U.S. attorneys or former federal judges, and we certainly understand that we are not out of the woods from uh, back uh, three years ago, and we need to educate the people and try and rebuild the trust of the people in the election system. It has been continually eroding to a certain extent. Uh, Technology helps the recording of of the votes, but it also, technology is also helping to erase or degrade the trust that people had in the system uh, 10, 15, 20
0: years ago. So you also uh, are spending time with uh, students as a professor at Duquesne Law School in Pittsburgh. And maybe just, we do have a lot of student listeners, just put yourself kind of in their perspective as they're looking at the last three years, the, the next Generation, uh, I'd be curious, kind of, what's on their mind. What you're hearing as we're recording with the start of the semester. Well, it,
1: it, it's very interesting. I have two different classes. One is called the Functions and Duty of the Prosecutor. So we aid is the, uh, the students to get into the DA's office or the public defender's office or an attorney general's office, U.S. Attorney's office. And the other course that I teach is called State Attorney General Law. And as you well know, state attorneys general are much more. Uh, involved uh, proactively, not with the the noun progressives, but being involved in the courtroom from both sides of the aisle than they were when I was attorney general the first time in 95. And uh, the students are a little hesitant to really talk about it yet. It'll be interesting to see as we go further into this semester that we've only had three classes so far. Uh, But they'll come up to me afterwards and they'll ask me what I think is going on. The other thing is in, in teaching them, there is, I want to say, not a, uh, well, maybe a lack of recognition from history or understanding history, uh, than what my generation, and I'm, as you know, over my seventies, uh, my generation had a greater understanding of history, especially when I went to law school back in the mid seventies in, in, uh, Texas. So it, it's an education process to, um, educate the students. They are used to mail-in balloting. Uh, They're used to uh, absentee balloting. Uh, they they trust technology better than I think or more than people over 50 probably do, trust technology. But they do participate. And as you know, we've said this many times that the communications, the instant communications going on with cell phones, with blog sites, with Facebook, uh, with Instagram, with Uh, Twitter uh, does not allow time for the filtering out of falsehoods or mistakes that newspapers used to do before they were published. And so this information goes out, and we have students, we have adults, we have uh, people from all spectrums. They have their own group of people that they talk to and only talk to them, and they reinforce each other without really stepping back and saying, Is that really what happened? Is that really what is going on? And I think for us in in Keep Our Republic, that's our biggest challenge is is to educate. And as a result, in addition to talking to students, we're doing much with the bar associations across uh, Pennsylvania. And as you recall, we did one recently up in the northeast part of the state with uh, Scranton and the Scranton Bar Association. And we had over 100 people participate in a one-hour continuing legal education. I know we have a couple more coming up. So I know that there is an interest in it, which I think is something that uh, our job is to fan that interest and have it grow to have more of the average everyday citizen step back a little bit and get refreshed with how our democracy works and how elections work.
0: Well, there's a lot of good stuff to unpackage there. Uh, maybe just take a step back. Uh, you alluded to, and just remind listeners, so earlier in your career, you you were a teacher of history. Uh, you were uh, a prosecutor. Uh, you were a U.S. attorney. You were the state's attorney general. But what, what drew you to public service? What drew you to uh, a profession of law? I'm sorry, I missed National Trump. Guard? I shouldn't minimize your service. Hope. in the National Guard. Okay, so where, so, where did the spark uh, begin? You know, I was talking to somebody about that
1: Two nights ago at dinner, and they said, "Where did you get into this?" And this sounds hokey, but I think it goes back to my time in the Boy Scouts service. You know, and the Boy Scouts taught me service, and we we had a a credo that we we lived by. And I was I enlisted in the uh, Pennsylvania Army National Guard in 1971. My draft number was 73. Uh, So at that point in time, we know where the war was going. I went into the guards. Had a six-year commitment. I went to fourteen years. I enjoyed it so much, and that was public service. The district attorney's office was public service. Uh, it doesn't pay real well, but it's gratifying, and you know you're doing something important. The U.S. I was an assistant U.S. attorney. And the same thing. I had the opportunity uh, later to become the United States attorney, and saw the justice system and the Department of Justice nationally, not just here in Western Pennsylvania. But I served on committees. I was for six months the uh, chair of the Attorney General's Advisory Committee of U.S. Attorneys, and really got to understand the criminal justice system, the justice system, not just criminal justice system, and had colleagues, and I still have colleagues all around the country that uh, we, every once in a while, talk to each other, refer to each other, uh, sometimes a little bit of business, which is always good, Uh but, you know, it was just a, a constant learning experience. Uh, then I had the opportunity as Attorney General to run for governor. Now I'm seeing it from a completely different standpoint. Now, public service isn't just legal uh, related. It is you know, education and it's transportation and it's business development, growing an economy, uh, keeping within a budget. Uh, I inherited a $4.2 billion deficit in my budget uh, and having to deal with that. Uh, so it was exposure to so many different things, but the guiding light keeps coming back to what they taught us in Boy Scouts is do the right thing. And I think that's what we're talking about here. In Keep our Republic. We know what the rules are. We know what the law is. We just want people to remember that we have to follow the
0: law. Well, as you alluded to, with a hundred plus attorneys uh, joining that seminar that you led up in up in Northeast PA, it just I think there is a lot of curiosity, but there's just not a lot of awareness about the post-election processes. And I imagine when you were governor, uh, preparing for the state to administer the 2012 election, no one was talking about the Electoral Count Act, for example. Uh, so, what, what do you, what do you think's changed? I mean, in, in just a, a decade or so, you have. Such litigious elections and such an intense focus on what happens after election night.
1: Well, I, I think what's changed is how we communicate uh, the technology, the cell phones, uh, the blogs. And you have a country that is continues to go either left or right, blue or red. There are there a vast number of people there in the middle. But I think they're reluctant to speak up for being criticized. It, it has... It, been very difficult for people in the middle to say something without immediately being criticized for being one or the other. And I have a number of my friends, they just say, just let me go vote. But people trusted the system before. They went in, they went down, they checked their ballot, or they did their absentee ballot. We didn't have mail in voting, but now we have it. Why do we have it? Technology. Uh, people can get a ballot. You, you, you had to go downtown at one point and submitted an application many years ago, and you had to write for an application to get just an absentee ballot. Well, that's gone. It's all now uh, the uh, mail-in ballot. The Democrats two years ago, really, and even four years ago, uh, really pushed the mail-in ballot, and the Republicans were reluctant. We are seeing a change here in Pennsylvania with the election that we have this year and going into next year. This year is what we call our municipal elections. County commissioners, judges, and so forth. but the Republicans are pushing very much to get the mail-in ballot. And it comes down to nobody really understands what they mean. Uh, When the ballot gets there, when can they start counting the ballot? Uh, And and everybody thinks there's an advantage there if you counted her or you'd be able to tell people to get out there more or something like that. To me, that's silly because you should be telling people to get out and vote no matter what. But from a technology standpoint, It also is silly to me to leave the envelopes completely sealed until the election is over at 8 o'clock. I I see no reason that they can't open it, unfold the ballot, not read it, not send it through a scanner, but send it through the scanner once 8 o'clock hits and then begin that process. Uh, And that's these discussions, I think, that are going on in the General Assembly right now. There are a couple of bills about uh, the vote. There's also a couple of bills right now from both one in the House, one in the Senate about the our primary date. Uh, and that's something that's going to be discussed. And then, in fact, we're one of the few states. I think there's eight other states that have a closed primary where if you're a Republican, you have to vote for the Republican. If you're a Democrat, you have to vote for the Democrats. If you're independent, you don't get to vote. Uh, and I, you know, I think you know, that's a mistake in, in this day and age. That's old history. People, as you know, they're reluctant to change anything, but I think for both sides, it's going to increase voting if they can get independents to vote in their primary, because then they'll vote in the general election. Now, there's a school thought that says, well, we don't want other people voting. We just want our party voting, their party voting. Well, that means you have to do a better job of educating the voter and getting them to vote for your candidates.
0: You know, uh, there's always a healthy competition amongst states. But it is interesting to me how Florida, a uh, much larger state than Pennsylvania, but uh, arguably somewhat as purple, midnight, 1 a.m., they can report their uh, their votes with near certainty of who the victor of the state is. In Pennsylvania, we've seen in recent years, it might be Thursday lunchtime. Uh, so what you're referring to with pre-canvassing, I think is critically important, but
1: I think what we've it's also... It's not hard. It's not No, only- I mean,
0: it's, it's physically opening an envelope, hopefully not getting paper cuts and prepping the process. Uh, but uh, I think what we've, we, we've all learned, those of us involved with Keep Our Republic, is there's just a real lack of uniformity across the 50 states when we get into the, the nitty gritty of administering an election. And I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing. Our founding fathers had a vision, and it's not necessarily the role of the federal government to say you must do it in X, Y, and Z fashion. You would have a difficult time getting anything
1: like that passed. And it goes back to the founding fathers. It said that's in through all of the, the states to conduct the elections. And as you know, we're having many different discussions on that when it comes to the redistricting and what's happening there, uh, the counting of the ballots, who's going to count the ballots. I think you're going to see some court cases coming down the road that eventually will resolve some of those issues. But I also think both sides, Republican and Democrat, need to work together and say, okay, here in Pennsylvania, they can open the ballot, lay it out, and face down, can't, nobody can look at it. question is, do they trust those workers? And right now, I don't think there's trust. Democrats don't trust the Republicans in the Republican counties and vice versa. Uh, and that is, I think, our job at Keep Our Republic is to rebuild that trust. Do I trust those workers a hundred percent? No, because there have been instances over the years of people doing things. But overall, yes, I trust them. There are people that are doing a public service. They're working either for free uh, because they're called in for that election or they, they work in they got it. the Secretary of Elections or Secretary of State or the Department of Elections in each county. They're, gov- they're government employees. Maybe there, sometime, maybe we are to say, well, they they have to be independence, but that's not going to happen. We know that.
0: Well, as we're on the eve of Sixers season, as Philadelphia sports fans, or uh, they say trust the process, uh, and there is a process. <laughs> you know what? One when when you were governor, there was Superstorm Sandy. Uh, speaking of the 2012 election, which seems like ages and ages ago, and. That was that was catastrophic, certainly along the Jersey Shore and into the Rockaways in New York, but it affected Pennsylvania as well. And I mention this because this past summer, there was deadly flooding along the Delaware that affected two counties in Pennsylvania. And I think those of us who keep our republic have seen the emergency powers afforded to a governor versus when the legislature needs to be consulted, when it's the role of counties. It gets pretty gray and nebulous when it comes to election administration. So maybe you can speak to that and reflect on what happened in those days leading up to the the 2012 election.
1: Well, it, it, it does get nebulous. Um, there wasn't this concern that we have today um, about somebody stealing votes or adding votes or whatever. Uh, it was just how are we going to get the vote counted? So I think there was greater trust in the system at that point in time. The same thing happened today. I think we might be in for a little bit of complaining and, you know, conspiracy thought process going on out there that I I really don't believe there's that overall conspiracy. But when it comes to the executive, uh, the emergency powers of, of the governor, it is a fairly broad power. The past governor, when it came to the COVID issue, continued in his the late of his emergency powers, much longer than I think anybody ever intended that to be. And the legislature has restricted that somewhat in some legislation, or they tried to. And if I recall correctly, he vetoed that bill. I think it's time that they revisit that a little bit. At the same time, the legislature can't get in the way. Uh, When there's an emergency, the governor's office has to be able to take care of that. We had a great uh, Pennsylvania Emergency Management Agency that did a great job with us. We worked, I think, flawlessly getting services to the people. It didn't have anything to do with the election, very much so, but making sure that people had roads to travel, bridges to cross, and uh, when they were, were flooded out, we got them to safety. So the emergency powers are something that are very important, but it may be a time to sit down with the legislature. As we go through this and say, should we revisit? I have seen the actions of Governor Shapiro here and now. My the second one after me, he has invoked the emergency powers in what I think is a very appropriate way. Uh, it when it was necessary, and particularly when there was a bridge failure in uh, on ninety five outside of Philadelphia, and, and did you know, they did great work. I was happy to see how fast it got done to get that replaced, uh, but. You know, you always need to, when it comes to emergencies, you always need to keep working on your game plan because you never know what it's going to be. It's just like a a battle plan. You know, the first thing that fails and when you go into battle is the plan, then what are you going to do? Well, the same thing with emergencies. First thing that fails is the plan, but do you have your alternatives? Do you have your audibles if we go to football uh, lined up and ready to go?
0: I don't know why my mind's going here, Governor, but I'm reminded of the Mike Tyson quote probably his only famous quote if you get you know everyone has a plan until they get punched in the nose absolutely with keep our republic yeah, i think everything we're working on is hopefully 2% 3% probability but god forbid it should happen would be enormously consequential in the election period uh, you've been super generous with your time you know you're you're quite involved with planning america's 250th birthday which is fast approaching and uh, a yeah, somewhat broad question, but you know, as you look at this distrust, as you look at this tribalism, as you look at everything that's coming down the pike in Pennsylvania over the next 400 some days, are you optimistic about the next 250 years of America, or do you think that we, we've got some big, big hurdles ahead?
1: You know, I'm, I'm optimistic, but I tend to be an optimistic person to begin with. I have a concern that we are not teaching civics enough at the grade school and high school level with history, you know, the saying, if you don't learn history, you're bound to repeat it. Uh, so that, that concerns me. Uh, but that can be, that can be fixed. There has to be a focus coming from the department of education to the school districts The school districts have to deal with that. That would be one. If I was back as governor, I would be pushing that right now because part of what we're seeing as this tribalism, which is well put by you is as a result, of um, the lack or the ignorance of how the system works and how it's supposed to work. Uh, And they just listen to that tweet or the podcast or the TV program. They find the camp that they're in, and that's all they
0: want to hear. So last last question. The show's called uh, If We Can Keep It. It's uh, supposedly Ben Franklin. I don't know if it was standing on Chestnut Street or Fifth Street, but there on Independence Mall was approached by uh, a fellow Pennsylvanian who said... What are you all doing in there? Uh, uh, what type of government are we going to have? And he said a republic, if we can keep it. So what, what, can, what can listeners do? What can average everyday Pennsylvanians and Americans do to help strengthen our democracy in the next 400 days and beyond?
1: Well, you're right. I mean, we are getting ready to celebrate the 250th. Considering the history of the time, nobody ever thought we'd keep it. We almost lost it back in the Civil War. So I, I think the most important thing that the listeners can do is talk to their friends. Don't be afraid to talk to people on the other side of the aisle or in the middle. And don't preach. Just explain how the system works. And if you don't know how the system works and you're here in Pennsylvania, we run it by counties or in your voting district, find out how it works. It's, it's really not that hard. We only do it two times a year. Uh, and we've been doing it now uh, for uh, 247 years at this point. Uh, something to be proud of and you know i would certainly hope that my great 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 grandchildren children are in the same republic
0: amen to that well sage advice really appreciate your time and appreciate you being in the trenches
1: thank you Thanks you for having me